Great to be together. Good morning to everyone streaming for the first time live streaming. Wow. One of the lessons that I never seem to be able to learn is this phrase, you get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. I am notoriously cheap. I am always looking for a way to, to save the most amount of money on buying things while it's still functional, but I'm always trying to beat the system. And I come home Wednesday night after an incredible event. We have this awesome uh, dinner gathering with a lot of the members of our black community at the church, and I'm all excited. And I, I come home, and I go to wash my face, and I go to turn the water off on my faucet, and kunk, my handle breaks, and it breaks with the water on. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I, you know, I start trying to move it, and there's like zero traction. And so I'm going, no, no, the water's on, and I'm trying to unscrew it, and I like, can't undo it. And so I, I'm going, oh, man, I'm having to get like very handy and go under the sink to turn off the water. And like for me, uh, I am not Mr. Fix-It, so I'm thinking like, man, I'm about to, it's like I'm doing a brain surgery. If I, if I actually go under the cabinet, I'm thinking, man, you know, I'm, I am MacGyver. And um, anyway, I, I go under there and I go to twist the turnoff valve and it's not moving. So what do you do when something moves? You just give it everything you've got, right? And so I, cock, and it breaks off in my hand. It's like this flimsy, cheap little, it looked metal, but I think it was plastic, and I've broken it. And so now I'm thinking, no, no, like, and the water's gushing, and now the water's dripping out of that valve underneath. And so I'm like, ah, give me my tools. And I'm texting people, you know, can you help me? It's 1030 at night, though. And, and, and so anyway, I have to shut the water off to my whole house. That wouldn't be usually a big deal. But the next day is my kid's first day of school. My poor daughter, like, gets half a shower, you know, you go to the restroom. You can go to the restroom. You just can't get the restroom out of the house. And it was just, it stunk, right? Literally. And it was just, it was a royal mess. And I realized, you know, um, you get what you pay for. And sometimes it's, it's worth it to pay the price to buy what you need. And I started thinking about this week and this message for this week, and I realized, you know, this is a really great picture of where we are as an American church. We haven't paid the price, and so we're in a mess. We haven't paid the price, so we're in a mess. Let me begin in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 24 is Jesus's main treatise on the end times in his earthly ministry. We've unpacked that every week. He's talking about his return in bodily form, a second coming. He's talking about signs of the end times. If you haven't heard that, I encourage you to go back and listen to my first message on the end times. But we move from Matthew 24 to Matthew 25, which is these parables. And they're fascinating. And I would say, really, they're warnings. They're warnings. Now, when I say warnings, a lot of times people are, are, are a little reticent. They don't like warnings. You, you're annoyed by by warnings. But can I just tell you, we warn those we love. We warn those we love. I, I see people doing stupid things all the time. 
in this day and age of extreme sports and YouTube clips and Instagram photo ops, people do dumb things. But, I, you know, I'm kind of like, well, that's dumb, but I hope you don't get hurt. But when it's my kids, I warn my kids incessantly. I mean, even little things like, make sure you put on sunscreen. Make sure you stay hydrated. Stretch before you do that exercise. I mean, I give my kids warning by warning by warning, and I come from a long line of warning parents. My father gave me so many warnings, but I'm so thankful. You've heard me say many times one of his main warnings because we were big outdoors people was watch out for snakes, and I can't tell you how many times that's paid off as I've had so many near misses with rattlesnakes. But I'm always watching, always listening. So Jesus gives a warning in Matthew 24. I want you to open that with me today. Would you go ahead and open it in your app or in your paper Bible? Because I I want us to really interact with the text. I want you to underline some things. It says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps, who went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, a cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins woke up, and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil! Our lamps are going out! No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy. Buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the hour or the day. Let me give you some historical context from ancient Israel to help you understand a little more about this parable. There were three elements to a a marriage in ancient Judaism. The first was the engagement. It was a a formal agreement between two fathers of a bride and a groom. This is actually how my daughter will be married, by the way. Um, An agreement between two fathers, and uh, just kidding. But that was the first thing that was done. Then the second one was a betrothal. And this was a ceremony where promises were made for the wedding. And then thirdly, approximately one year after these two engagement, betrothal, came the marriage. And at the marriage, the bridegroom would show up at an unexpected time. So they wouldn't know. It was this big suspenseful surprise. He would show up. And when he did, then the bride's friends would go out with lamps. Now, Talmudic scholars say the reason of 10 was that's how many lamps would be in the wedding procession. And so this is just painting a normal wedding scene, but it says that when the bridegroom came and they didn't know when he was coming and people were becoming drowsy and sleepy, five were prepared. They actually had oil that they had purchased and they were ready to keep their lamps burning. 
Now, what does that symbolize? We talk about being on fire for Jesus. We often talk about our faith being a flame. You see that all over Scripture. But let me tell you that a fire needs something to burn. If you're going to have a fire on one of these frigid San Diego nights coming up this fall, when the temperature drops to a grueling 59 degrees, you, you got to buy something. You got to buy either wood or you buy some propane. And for the lamps, it was oil. And so five actually were prepared with oil, but five were not. They were foolish. They had not bought something to keep their flame burning. And so when the bridegroom appears, they are not ready and it's too late. So that's what I want to talk about today because here's my premise is that if you want to stay in love with Jesus, it's going to cost you something. Let me say that again. If you want to stay in love with Jesus, it's going to cost you something. Now, before I get going and you get overly concerned, let me assure you that I believe that salvation is free. The scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not by any works lest a man should boast. Salvation is free. But if you want to be one of those bright, shining flames for the Lord, if you want to experience the abundant life, it is going to cost you something. And I am afraid that much of the American church has not taught that truth in Scripture. And so when we hit COVID 2020, we're in a mess. Matthew 24, 12 through 13, it says this, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. You've heard me sharing these statistics that I've recently learned as the surveys have gone out to the body of Christ that one-third of people that have been connected to a church consistently have now fallen off of any engagement, whether it's online or whether it's in person. And even more staggering, 50% of millennial Christians have totally disengaged from their church, both in person or online. Listening to some end-time scholars, they actually believe that there will be a time where 50% of Christians do fall away according to this 10 virgins and five did not have oil. It's an incredibly sad thing, and that's not what I want us to be. Instead, I want us to be the on-fire ones who grow more and more in love with Jesus and boldly proclaim His goodness and His coming and enjoy the fullness of His presence. This past Sunday night, many of you guys know we've been doing this kind of outreach gathering on the beach at Mission Beach, and I had two guys brought up to me by, by, by one of our group that was down there, and these guys were tougher guys. They were dressed kind of tougher and <clears throat> came up kind of looking hardened, but, but yet this person brings them over to me to talk to me. So I'm like, hey, guys, and I, I get their names and, and, and say, man, I want to pray for you. How can I pray for you? And, and then I, I ask them the question that I ask anyone, hey, here's the most important question you'll ever get. If you were to die tonight, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? 
And both of them are like, ah, I, you know, one's like, you know, I don't know. And the other one's like, I think so, but didn't really give me the clearest answer. And so at that moment, I explained to them how if you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, you understand you can't save yourself. The man's on one side, he's sinful, that all of sin fallen short of the glory of God, and that God over here is perfect, and that we can't get to God because of our sin, but the scripture says that God sent Jesus, his son, the gift to purchase our salvation, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we could die to sin. By his stripes, we are healed. So the cross becomes a bridge between sinful man on one side and, and God on the other, that we can walk across that. And I said, so guys, do you want this? Like, that you can know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to heaven when I die. Do you want this? And it was so interesting because the most hardened guy looks at me and goes, I've done that three times, man. And he said, but I don't want to do it again. I'm just going to go back and sin tonight. And I was like, well, so am I. I have four kids. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, I'm going to get upset or I'm going to say something stupid. Or he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to go and party tonight. And, 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 and so I just started challenging him with, you, you will never find what you're looking for in that lifestyle. You were created to only be fulfilled by the love of the living God. But it was so fascinating to me. He ends up saying, well, my mom's a pastor. I've done that. I got baptized. I got a cross tattoo. But three things were missing from his life. Number one, an assurance that he was going to go to heaven. An assurance that he was saved. Number two, a, a, an ability to walk free from sin. He was just planning on heading right in. Number three, a desire to walk with Jesus. And can I tell you, that's the picture of so much of American Christianity. Is there's been a, a, a prayer, a, a, a kind of Hail Mary fire insurance, but there is no love. There is no love for Jesus. And that's why I, I, I think this Revelation 2, 4, this challenge to the church in Ephesus, Jesus is giving this message to the churches, and they are so apropos for today. He says to the church in Ephesus, I mean, first he starts by encouraging them. He, he gives them these encouragements of what they're doing right. But then he says this, but I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. I, I love it. If you look at the Greek for that, that word love can be described affection. You know, there's a lot of people that say they're Christian, but there's way fewer that have this affection for Jesus. Right? And, and if you looked up where else is that word used? It's, it's used in that verse we were talking about, Matthew 24, 12. But of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Or you could change that to the affection of most will grow cold. And aren't you seeing that in this year? I'm seeing so many Christians that their, their life is marked by bitterness. Their life is marked by frustration. Their life is marked by divisiveness or hate or fear or anger. It, it, what their life is not marked by is affection, but I tell you, God wants to put this. I believe he's changing the body of Christ in this hour. 
Like he's giving us another chance to truly be like we are. Um, you've, re- you've lost your first love. Do you remember the first time you fell in love? The, 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 the first time you fell in love, I, I, uh, I was cracking up. Jason came, came up to me. And he, was, he goes, bro, I, he, it was so sweet. So Jason's our college pastor, and so he's always interacting with, with the young people in our church. So he goes up to one of the volunteers to, to ask her about something, and she's just totally flustered, and, and, and her eyes are all big, and she's blushing, and he's like, hey, are you okay? Like, concerned about this. Are you okay? And she had this interesting posture, and she ends up saying, yeah, I'm sorry. The guy I likes just walked up and talked to me, and I was so freaked out. I'm like, that's, that's first love, right? That, I mean, I remember, I remember uh, my, my first love moment with Steph, okay? Um, we, we had gone out on a few dates, but this was going to be like a big date. You know, you know how dates start. They're like jeans and t-shirts, go to get coffee or whatever. And, but then you're like, oh, this gets serious. We're going to go get a steak. <laughs> right? That, that is serious. She just said, that's Texas. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> We're going to go get some tofu. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, yeah, we were in Texas at the time. Um, and, and so Steph comes out of the house. I still can see it in this linen sundress with these blue flower stems with yellow petals. I mean, I, I can still see it, right? I, you know, and I'm looking at her going, only you. <laughs> Anyway, I just got, I got lost in her eyes, and I, I just remember the whole night, and we had, a, we had that candlelight dinner, and I'm just, I never wanted it to end. My heart was palpitating, right? It, I, I, I'm, I'm flush. Um, anyway, uh, that's first love. That is first love. And, 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 you know, when you really come to Jesus, that's how it is. You remember that first time you encountered Jesus? It's unreal. You're like, you really love me. You, you gave everything for me. Like, I'm a wretch. I, I, am, I don't deserve it, but you're so good. Do you remember the first time you ever felt the presence of Jesus? Like, you felt his pre- you're in worship, and all of a sudden, you're feeling the supernatural blanket enveloping you. The first time, how about the first time you ever heard his voice? Maybe some of you haven't heard that yet, but the first time he spoke to you, and you're like, oh my goodness, the living God is speaking to me. It is, it's a first love experience, and you just, you can't wait for the next worship thing. You can't wait to, to, to spend time with him. That is a first love. And then, you know what happens? You have that first love, and then you get married. And the married ones are going, <laughs> and you know what? The emotions, they drop. Do you know why? So that you can move from puppy love, selfish love, to mature love. Because mature love isn't just about how you feel. 
Let me read 1 Corinthians 13. This is what mature love is all about. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. Always perseveres. I don't see one emotion in that list. Why? The Lord lets the emotions wane so that mature love can grow. So let me teach you for a moment how to have a healthy marriage. A healthy marriage is not resting on puppy love. A, mat- a healthy marriage does not rest on a crush. If you want to know why there's so many divorces, is because we believe that song from Top Gun, you've lost that love and feeling. Oh, that love. Bring back that love and feel. Right? No, the Lord let it go so you could grow up. So this is the equation for mature love. Let's put this equation up. Mature love equals, we start by being devoted. Okay? We start, imagine arrows between these because these are going to build on each other. Mature love starts by being devoted. You say, I will marry you, and I will stay with you in sickness and in health. Do you know why that that loving feeling leaves? Because one morning you wake up next to your spouse, and they go, good morning. And you're like, oh, oh. Right? They move from rose petal breath to stanky breath. And one, one day, they stop being this beautiful put-together that they spent two hours getting ready for you, right, to they have a stomach bug, right, and, and, and they are puking everywhere, and you're like, wow, like I actually want to run, right? <laughs> uh-huh. And the feelings go away, but you made a commitment. You made a commitment to be devoted. And so then once you're devoted, then it's time to walk out in discipline. There's a disciplined lifestyle. In a marriage, the only way a marriage is going to be good is if you have committed to a disciplined lifestyle of listening. Hours and hours of listening. When you don't understand, but you listen even when it is hard. Right? Notice how I'm not looking at Stephanie right now. <laughs> and you, you are disciplined because you are devoted. And out of that comes delight. Look at John 15. I want to talk to you about your love relationship with Jesus. And I want to tell you, when we come to him, there is a first love that's exciting, it's passionate, and in every human 
heart, it will wane. And that is intentional because Jesus was wanting to bring us to mature love. And let me teach you how to stay there. It says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Can you believe that? The Father, who is he going to love more than his Son, his perfect Son, his loving Son? I mean, you look at Jesus, you're like, of course you'd love him. He is amazing. And then Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Are you kidding me? Like, you love me that much, Jesus? That is crazy. But watch this next thing. Now remain in my love. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're going to love me like the Father loves you, of course I want to remain in your love. Like, that, who wouldn't want? I just want to be loved. Everyone, they just want to be loved. That's why we perform. That's why we strive. We're always looking for love. And yet he says, remain in my love. And now he's going to give you the secret to doing that. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Let me tell you, salvation is free. But if you want to walk in the love, if you want to stay in the love of Jesus, it is going to cost you. You actually have to keep the commands. If you want a good marriage, you have to work. You have to work. You have to have discipline, to talk, to understand, to go out on the dates, to take out the trash, to serve, to care for the person when they are sick. It is not easy. You want to remain in the love of Jesus? It is not easy. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this. Now watch this, though. You're like, man, this is a hard message. This is not what I've been hearing in church. I've been coming to church for years. I went to this church and that church, and they just gave me three steps to having a little better life. And Robert, you're telling me this is going to be hard. But watch this. Uh, this, is, this is how kind Jesus is. He said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. Now, I tell you one thing I want in life is joy. Like, I, I like joy. I like when I feel joyful. So on marriage, let's put that equation back up. You commit and you're devoted. You're like, I am devoted no matter what, whether, whether I feel it or not. Let me just tell you, you're not going to feel it. They're going to lose that lovely feeling. They're going to have stanky breath. They're going to get sick. But you're saying, I am devoted, and therefore I will be disciplined. I will live a life honoring you. I will build our marriage. I will go to counseling. I will have the long conversations. We will go out on dates. I will serve. And then what happens? then there's an even greater delight. Our marriage has gotten better 20 years in. So where the, the first love, oh, it was amazing, but now it's so much deeper and so much richer. And there are moments where I'm like, oh, wow! And there are other moments where I'm not. But if you want to enter into that mature joy, you have to pay. You have to buy. You have to commit. So let me go back to two defining conversations that I had in my young adult years that would change my life forever. And I'm so thankful for them. And if you haven't had these kind of conversations in your Christian life, consider them happening today from me to you. I walked 
a, a, a real one foot in the church, one foot in the world growing up. And so I, I have this weekend where uh, a youth leader came and stayed in a house with a bunch of kids. And so, he, I mean, God just led him to do this. He just asked me in the middle of the weekend, hey, can, I, can, can, can we go off? I want to get you some, some uh, frozen yogurt. I realize now when I say like frozen yogurt, no one eats frozen yogurt anymore. So if you totally don't understand what I'm saying, picture acai bowls. That's what he would have said. And so we're going off to get some, some frozen yogurt, and we walk out, and I'm, I'm thinking, this is so cool, the leader wanted to be with me, and, and he, we walk out, and there's all these uh, kids, they're like, we called them goth back then, like just all black clothing, black makeup, chains, black hair over their eyes. It was like they were dark. And I'm like, these are not churchy kids. And the youth leader leaves me to walk up to them. And I'm like, whoa, you can't do this. Like, this is my time. And those kids, they don't like us churchy people. You know, I was all preppy. And, and, uh, and he walks over and I'm in shock because instead of rejecting him, these kids just eat up his love because he just he just shined with love. Can I just tell you, love crosses every kind of barrier, right? Don't, don't, don't just, we, we are so used to, to judging people by their outer appearance. And if you will walk in the love of Jesus, it's amazing the walls that'll break down. So he walks in, gets in, in, into their life, starts sharing the gospel with them. They're listening. I'm thinking, I'm, my, my mouth is just a gate. It's just dropped to the floor because I cannot believe he's doing this. And he walks back to me and I'm just astounded. And then he looks at me and goes, Robert, you're a leader. And I'm thinking, yeah. And he goes, and you're either going to lead people to Jesus or you're going to lead them to hell. You decide. Hello. And that confrontation changed me forever. Because I realized, man, I do not want to lead people to hell. I want to give them Jesus. And that day I decided, put that diagram back up here, I decided whatever it takes, I am going to be devoted to Jesus. Now, the next three years, I would struggle because I wanted to be devoted, but man, I was struggling with sin. I was struggling with my thought life. It was hard for me to do the things that, that I, I knew I was supposed to do. But you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to take one step. And can I, can I tell you, God will honor that. You don't have to be perfect. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just take one little step and your father, have you ever seen a, a, a parent the first time their kid takes a step and their kid's like, and the parents are like, yes, look at my kid. Like they just won a Super Bowl. I want to tell you that's the heart of God for you. You take one little fumbly step forward and he's like, look at my kid. Oh, he's, he wants to please me. He wants to bless me. She, she cares about me. That, I mean, it's so, and so, but, and then God sees that. And the Bible says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And so God saw my feeble attempts to try to please him, and he starts aligning your path, and it just so happens that one day I'm, I'm, I've just shown up to, to paint the, the, the church offices, and the pastor is next to me. Pastor Jimmy, he's still my pastor today, and his appointment doesn't show up, and that was a God thing because he looks at me, and he's like, hey, Robert, I just, I was new at the church. He goes, hey, Robert, you want to get lunch with me today? And I'm like, yes, 
And so I'm driving to his house to get lunch, and I'm going, okay, what, what do I do? What do I do? What do I, okay, uh, uh, you know, a smart person asks good questions. What's the best question I can ask him? And then I, I, I have it come to me. I say, Jimmy, I'm 21 years old. If, if I just wanted to sell out for Jesus, like give him everything, what's the one piece of advice you'd give me? He immediately responds with this. He says, Psalm 103 says, the children of Israel knew the acts of God, but Moses knew his ways. He goes, I, I would give the best time of every day to spend one-on-one with God so you can be a person who doesn't just know his acts from afar, but knows his ways as a friend. He said, I'd block out over an hour every day to do that. Now, Oh, that was a challenge for me because I grew up in a church where we called it the seven from heaven. And they challenged us as youth to spend seven minutes with God a day. And I could never do it. I'd put out my watch. I'd start reading the Bible. I was so ADD. I was so, I could pray for a few minutes and then I'd just be like, ah, I couldn't spend seven minutes. So he's saying over an hour, but you know what? I was saying, I want everything of Jesus, and if this guy just challenged me to give my best time to him every morning, I'm going to try it. And you know what happened? I was devoted. I took up this discipline, although it was so hard. And there would just be these moments. I'm not talking about all the time. There were a lot of mornings where I would, I would be asleep with my head on the Bible, drooling everywhere, wake up going like, oh, that was awful. There were a lot of failures, but there were some moments where it was like I was tasting heaven or Jesus would speak to me. And then I'd see that day things happen that he had told me about. And guys, I just started falling more in love. I want to encourage you, um, you can look on our website. You say, man, I don't know how to spend time with Jesus. Look on our website, and there's a resources tab. Go under the resources tab and explore that because we have all these resources, and we have these downloads, and one of the things is a FaceTime packet. Another thing is these Who I Am in Christ scriptures that you can read over yourself. Another is a a seven-day devotional. Another is a 28-day devotional. We have a lot of resources that you can follow right along for me every day. I read the Bible in a year. We talk about that at the beginning of the year, but I will talk about this until the cows come home. I'll talk about this until I'm blue in the face. I'll keep talking about this forever because if there's one thing that I would plead with you as your pastor, if there's one thing that I want, if I can only give you one thing, it's this. Spend daily time with Jesus because the word will wash you. I don't want a bunch of unwashed. I mean, I am so thankful because I have teenage boys. I need them to take showers. And when they don't, you would smell it in my car because I drive them to a lot of sports. You need to take daily showers. And I'm not talking about with water. I'm talking about the washing of the word. You need this to wash you every day because your mind gets dirty and your heart gets cloudy and we need the washing of the word and then you need to pray and connect with your father. It'll change your life. So let me just end end the sermon by giving you four incredible ways that remaining in God's love will bless you 
because it is a key to life. Number one, love is the key to being content in any circumstance. In some ways, I'm super thankful on behalf of the body of Christ for 2020 because it is a great indicator of where our hope is. If, if you have found yourself absolutely miserable in 2020, then I want to challenge you. You're not remaining in his love because Paul actually said, I've found the secret to contentment in any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Why? Because he learned that the love of God strengthens him and he is planted on an unshakable kingdom. And so when circumstances shake, which they have in 2020, over and over and over again, our, our finances have shaken, our health, our safety, our peace in our country has shaken, it's a great chance to say, but can I still be content when the world is quaking? The answer is yes, but it takes remaining in his love. Number two, Love is the key to fruitfulness. Love is the key. Why do we have such an unfruitful church in America? It's because we don't have an in love church. We, we haven't been obedient. Number three, love is the key to being secure in your identity. It's not by being prettier. I have met the prettiest, the most handsome people in the world that reek of insecurity. You, we always think, man, if I could just change this, if I could have this kind of nose, if I could have this size bicep, if I could. Can I just tell you that until you find the love of God stamping your heart, you will never be secure. You'll never be able to be good enough in your job, smart enough, advanced enough, have enough accolades or accomplishments. I love Song of Solomon, this, this, this woman who ends up with King Solomon. She's a servant girl. She's been out in the vineyards working them. She didn't get to, to have this beautiful skin like all the princesses did because she had to go out and work. And she says, dark am I, because the sun had just blistered her. She goes, but lovely. And you'll be able to say that. You know what? I'm not perfect. I'm weak. I have brokenness. I'm not the prettiest. I'm not the, 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 the sharpest tack, right? I, but, but man, I am lovely. He loves me. Number four, love is the key to evangelism. We talk about what we love. If you know me, you will hear me talk about my kids. You will hear me talk about Stephanie. Why? Because I'm in love with them. I love them. And you talk, I mean, I, I, I can spend two minutes with the average person and I will know what they love. By what it, maybe it's the, maybe it's professional football, maybe it's surfing, maybe it's, I don't know, but you fall in love with Jesus and he's going to flow out of your mouth. So I said it last week, one last verse. I believe that God is changing Christianity in this generation. I actually believe he's changing Christianity. I mean, who would have thought that we'd be meeting in tents with masks and shields over our faces? And I mean, this is weird. But you know what I think God is doing? Let's not waste our pain. Let's not waste our pain. I think this is what he's doing, Revelation 3, 16 and 18, once again to a church. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, and this is what the American church has, has been like, I am rich, 
I have acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. But do you not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? I counsel you to buy. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. Or I would put the word truly rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve the put on your eyes so you can see the American church, we've been rich in this world. We've had all the food we wanted. We've had the, had the, the glitter and the glamour and, the, and the, it's been like the most amazing show. We've, we've been overstimulated, overentertained. The church has been oversexed. And God is saying, and you're poor but I challenge you to buy real gold. I challenge you to purchase. So the price is high. It's going to be hard, friends, to stand as persecution gets more. Opposition to Christianity is getting stronger, and that's going to be hard. It's, it's going to be hard as finances might get tighter to give 10% to tithe, to honor God with that commitment, and then to give above that, to look to the needs of the poor, to look to the needs of world mission. It's going to be hard to, to, to be bright lights shining as, as all of a sudden we're, it's said that we have hate speech or that we're not, that you can't do that. You can't talk about religion in the workplace. It's just going to, I, I want to tell you what I think. I think it's going to get harder. But as you keep his commands, you remain in his love. And so you're thinking today, like, Robert, I, can, I barely survived this. How am I going to do that? Can I tell you, you've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, you no longer live. It's Jesus Christ living in you. You don't, don't all of a sudden take this sermon and go, okay, now I got a list of all these. Da, da, da. No, what you take is I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus and I'm going to be rooted in his word and then, I, and then his power is going to fulfill me and it's going to change me and I'm going to actually want to be with him and I'm going to actually want to serve the poor and I'm going to want to share and I'm, because his love, Christ's love, as scripture says, compels me. And as you walk in that, that's when we land in joy. And that's when he even says that your joy will be complete. Why don't we stand up?